There is a stigma surrounding menopause. This stigma can lead to women not speaking about their menopause experience to friends, to partners, to colleagues in the workplace. A report produced by HCF found that of participants surveyed, less than two in five Australian women feel comfortable speaking to their partner about perimenopause and menopause, which to me is a quite saddening statistic, as I feel that partners should be people we lean on for support during times of change. However, I can see how bringing this conversation up may be difficult. Not talking about menopause openly and not having the language to know how to talk about menopause can mean there's a lack of knowledge and understanding to prepare us for the menopausal transition. That same report by the HCF found that 70% of Australian women aged 45 and over do not feel well-informed or prepared for menopause. That is 70% of women feeling ill-prepared for a stage of life that is inevitable. The way we talk about, educate on, and portray menopause makes a big difference. Whilst there are a multitude of reasons to dismantle the stigma associated with menopause, one important reason is that the way our cultures react to menopause can actually have an effect on their symptoms. Dr. Mary Jane Minkin, a menopausal expert who is referred to as Madam Ovary, which side note is a pretty kick-ass name, was quoted in an interview saying that in societies where age is more revered and the older woman is the wiser and the better woman, menopausal symptoms are significantly less bothersome. Whilst in contrast, where older is not better, many women equate menopause with old age and the symptoms can be much more devastating. And this is true. Numerous studies have showcased how symptoms related to menopause are strongly influenced by the social, cultural environment in which a woman lives. Women in countries such as Sweden, Denmark, Norway, Japan, and India who view aging more positively and therefore view menopause in a more positive light experience lesser unpleasant effects and report that their menopausal experience was actually better than expected. One myth I've encountered is that menopause marks the end of a woman's life, or that nothing good happens after menopause. Yet a third of the average woman's life is postmenopausal. I'm saying that again, one third of life is postmenopausal. So how can we rid ourselves of this idea that nothing good comes after menopause? I'm Val, and this is Not So Private Parts. I'm joined today by my wonderful mom, who also happens to be a gynecologist, Dr. Denise Elser-Poulos. Hi, I'm Dr. Denise Poulos, a neurogynecologist in the Chicago area, and I have a really amazing daughter, Val, one of my amazing daughters, I should say. But the two of us are here to hold open conversations about our bodies, to encourage women to understand their private parts so they can ask the right questions, make informed decisions, have open conversations, and enjoy their bodies. So let's get into it. We'd like to begin today by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land in which we create this podcast, the Gadigal people, the Bedigal people, and the Potawatomi people. We pay our respect to elders past and present, and we acknowledge and respect their continual culture and contributions they make to the life of these regions. If you're interested to learn more about the First Nations land that you're on, a good place to start is to visit www.native-land.ca which I'll link in the show notes, which allows you to type in the name of your area to learn more about the territories, the languages, and the treaties associated with the space that you're living on. Disclaimer, even though I am a gynecologist and I'll be talking about some medical conditions and treatment options, please do not consider this to be personal medical advice. If you have a condition that needs treatment, please see your own physician to be properly evaluated, counseled, and treated. There is so much information out there on menopause that it can feel very overwhelming. 
In fact, confession, listener, one day at the library when I was researching this topic, I became so overwhelmed that I started to cry. And today we are just reaching the tip of the iceberg, as this is a mammoth topic. So in this episode, we're going to cover some of the basics around what menopause is, what are some of the common symptoms of menopause, as well as hear some real women's stories of their experiences with menopause. Our hope is that in starting to have open conversations about menopause at every age, not just right before your perimenopausal, we can lessen some of that misinformation and stigma that's associated with menopause. And one reason I am particularly excited to be having this conversation with my mom is because not many women speak with their mom about menopause. A study by Bonafide into the state of menopause highlighted that only 9% of women talk to their mothers about their experience of menopause, which checks out. Because when I checked in with a few friends about if they'd ever chatted with their moms about menopause, there was a resounding no across the board. So before we dive in, listeners, I have a challenge. Take some time to have a conversation with your mom or your grandmother about menopause. One of the tools we have to dismantle stigma is to share our stories. So if you are able, I would highly encourage you to have a chat. Speaking of mother, daughter, and grandma chats about menopause, I would like to introduce the three wonderful women whose voices and stories you'll be hearing throughout this episode. First up, we have a mother-daughter duo who giggle and chuckle their way through this conversation. These are some of my favorite ladies in the world, but I'll let them intro themselves. I'm Jessica. I'm 26 years old, and I'm joined by my wonderful mother. (laughs) I'm Jody. I'm 63. I'm a personal banker in a local community bank. I have four beautiful children and four beautiful stepchildren and nine grandchildren. (laughs) I was also lucky enough to have a chat with my grandma, Mary Abbott. Here she is. Hi, my name is Mary Abbott. I live in Schaumburg, Illinois, which is a suburb of Chicago. I'm 83 years old right now. Thanks so much to these ladies for being so brave as to share their stories throughout this episode and dismantle some of that stigma surrounding menopause. Here's mom and I. Okay, mom, are you ready to chat about menopause with me? Yes, but can I go back to a story? What I remember is Valerie, you picking on me. So uh, when I was going through the perimenopause, which we're going to talk more about, I was having horrible night sweats and you came into my room like in the wee hours in the morning and I Oh my God, mom, did you wet the bed? Because I completely soaked through my pajamas. I used to sleep with a towel next to me, an extra pair of pajamas, because I would sweat so much that I'd wake up in like a freezing chill in the winter because I was so soaking wet. You're like, mom, did you wet the bed? I'm like, yes, but not for the reason that you were thinking. Yes, I wet the bed every night. It was purely night sweats. So you're the only one of my kids who really picked on me for that. But did I pick on you or was I just inquiring if you wet the bed? So it's to support you, maybe. <laughs> uh, oh, I didn't feel too supportive. All right, people, it was me. You've heard it. I'm the one that made fun of menopause, which is why I'm here to right my wrongs and hear the truth about menopause. Mom, I'm hoping we could start just with the definition of menopause. But what is menopause? Okay, I really want to talk about a couple of definitions because when you came up to me and I was sweating through the night, I was in perimenopause, which meant I was getting symptoms related to my hormones changing. I was still having periods. So that was not, that was a perimenopausal period. And a lot of ladies that I talk to think that I ask, hey, are you menopausal? Like, oh, no, 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 that happened years ago. So to me as the doctor, I think menopausal means you're done having periods, you're in the menopause. But that 
time when you're acutely changing and having a lot of symptoms but still menstruating is the perimenopause. So menopause technically is going 12 months without a period. Not, not related to pregnancy, of course, which some women will go, you know, of course, nine, 10 months without. It could be 12 months because if you're nursing after you have a baby, you may not get a period for a few months while you're still breastfeeding. So menopause is not related to pregnancy, but 12 months of no periods. The average age of menopause is around 52. Some say 54, which means some women are going to go through it at a much earlier age, like 45, and some will go through it in their mid to late 50s. But the average age is 50-ish, let's call it. Women that need surgery and have a hysterectomy at an earlier age, they lose their uterus, they're not having periods, they're not technically menopausal if they still have ovaries because they're still having hormone cycling. So women who've had a period, don't have periods anymore because of a hysterectomy, but still have their ovaries, they would need a hormone test to find out when they've hit menopause, when the ovaries are no longer fully functioning. Okay, wow. That's a lot of good information. So what I'm hearing is that in the period before menopause, when you might start having some symptoms that women relate to menopause, that's perimenopause. And then when you actually have had no period for 12 months that's not related to pregnancy, then that would be when you have entered menopause. That's correct. Can we talk about a time I've heard about too, which is postmenopausal? So when do you become go from menopause to postmenopausal? Yeah, so when you're that menopausal phase where you fully stopped having periods for a year, now you're postmenopausal. Okay. Mom, how would a woman know if she is going through menopause? Yeah, so we know that all women's periods stop, and that's the official menopause, but in the perimenopause, periods can become closer together. They might, then for a while, they become farther apart. Some women will go about three to six months without a period and have one, I call it the one big shebang, or one big heavy period comes, and then finally they're done, and then they go 12 months without a period. Here's Judy describing that final shebang. Then at 50, when my cycle ended, I went almost a whole year, and then it came again. (laughs) I was like, you got to be kidding me. (laughs) But it was just for that one day, and then that was it. Okay, back to mom and I's chat. But other really common symptoms are the night sweats. I just talked about hot flashes. Some call them hot flushes. Hot flashes where it's just all of a sudden you feel like you're on fire. You're emanating heat. People are next to you. You can feel the heat coming off of you. There can be sweats associated with There's a sudden, like, unbelievable amount of sweating. It's very difficult to think or concentrate while that's going on because your body is so acutely drawing your attention. Here's Judy and Mary illustrating their night sweat or hot flash experience. Uh, night sweats were absolutely horrific. <laughs> I mean, I would wake up, I'd have to change my clothes, my bedding. I was starting to feel the hot flash thing and didn't even realize at first what it was. I was wondering if I was getting sick. I was starting to feel overly heated, you know, usually sleeping. And then it started to wake me up. I, and I would, I start to feel really warm. I don't throw off the covers because I'm, I would just stick my feet out, and that would cool me off. <laughs> and it did. It would be real, real sudden. All of a sudden, I'm really hot. And, and then it would intensify in the middle of my back. I'd always feel the heat radiating in the middle of my back. Eventually, I'd start to take the covers off and let my back get cooled off. Initially, it was just the heat that I would feel, but as the hot flashes went on, I would wake up 
wringing wet. I would get up out of bed and change my pajamas. I wouldn't jump into the shower. I'd just grab a towel and get all dried off and put on something else and climb back in bed. Um, that was just my fix at the time. And do you feel like it impacted your life, Grandma, or made it more difficult? It was really difficult, and there was nothing I could do. I couldn't sit there and fan myself, although sometimes I picked up some paper and just did that because it was very uncomfortable, and I was embarrassed to be sitting there fanning myself. Do you feel it coming on so you could prepare yourself? Were there any warning signs? Well, there was no, no premonition, no warning sign. All of a sudden, whoo! Thanks, Grandma. We'll talk more about hot flashes a little later, but here's my mom to talk a bit more about another common symptom of perimenopause. Another can be mood swings where it's often some irrational anger that might occur once in a while. Be like, oh my gosh, why was I so angry? Why was I so ready to yell at my kids and my husband? Maybe they're just jerks, or maybe it's perimenopause, hard to say. Usually the irregular menses, which can be closer together or farther apart, change in the amount of bleeding that there is, along with often hot flashes and maybe mood swings. Now, some women never get hot flashes. They just stop having periods and they find menopause very easy. Um, but for some women, those symptoms around the time of menopause are pretty devastating, make it very difficult to function, to take care of their kids or to participate in family activities. I want to talk more about the symptoms associated with perimenopause and menopause, but I was wondering if we talk, how long is the perimenopause? Like when I hear this, is it happening for a year or how long can I expect to be in perimenopause? Well, they all, that's genetic. So you usually can expect to be in perimenopause about as long as your mom was. So I hate to tell you, mine was about five years. For some women, it's six months to a year. For some women, it's years. And it can be up to, it can be a decade before the actual menopause hits where the hormones are changing and you're starting to get these symptoms. So when you say it's genetic, we actually had a listener send in a question of, is menopausal genetic and can I be looking at the previous generations like my mother or my grandmother to be seeing what my menopause experience might be like? I'm hearing that like maybe the timing is genetic. Does the age that it happens at or maybe like the symptoms you're having, is there any genetic link there? I, I don't have a strong of information that the symptoms are the same across generations, but the age usually is about the same. So we often ask women if they come in with irregular periods in their 40s, well, hey, what age was your mom when she went through menopause? Wow. And do you find that most women know the answer to that? I'd say in my experience, it's about 50-50. So for some, they're like, oh, you know, my mom had hysterectomy for fibroids when she was 35. So I have no idea when she went through menopause. And some of them will say, I, I have no idea. She never talked about it. And about half really know exactly when their mom went through it. So then what age did you start perimenopause? And what age did you hit menopause? I started about age 45, having some really pretty crazy hot flashes and insomnia and mood swings. And right when it happened, since you're a gynecologist and you have a pretty good educational base on menopause, did you know exactly what it was? Like, do you remember sweating and being like, yep, this must be perimenopause? Yeah. Now, I will just say as an aside, there are other causes for night sweats. So people have to be aware that thyroid issues, infections like HIV, which is not extremely common or other infections can cause night sweats, so you want to get it checked or if you start to develop them. Yeah, I had a pretty good idea that that's what it was. And then speaking of not being sure, because maybe you're starting to have symptoms, but you don't know what it is. 
Are there any tests that you can do to see if you are perimenopausal or if you are entering menopause? Let's say like maybe you would rather rely on a doctor who's told you via a test than paying attention to your own symptoms. Is there a way that you could test that? Uh, Yes. So we can do a blood test, which is called FSH or follicle stimulating hormone. And that's a hormone that is made by the hypothalamus and has to do with stimulating the ovary. And so that number will start to go up because as the ovaries are responding less well to the brain, the brain is going to try to stimulate it by producing more stimulating hormone. So an elevated FSH can tell us that you're past the regular period, regular reproductive cycle age and entering menopause. Now, as a side note, there is a commercially available test here in the U.S. I don't know about Australia, but it's being heavily marketed for women to buy over the counter. It's like, hey, check what phase of menopause you're in. And there is really no test to check what phase you're in. There's no reason to check. Am I nearing menopause? Am I far away? Those home kits, really, we don't see any value in. Mm. And those you can just buy over the counter. And is it like a pregnancy test? Like you pee on it? Yeah, it's pregnancy test. You pee on it. They're going to tell you how, what what phase you're in. And there's really just no values. If you're having menopause, the symptoms, just track your periods, track your hot flashes, check your night sweats, pay attention to mood swings. I'd say the one surprising one for me was mood swings. I would have days where I got this crazy anger and I didn't realize it until I am like, why am I so mad? I have no reason to be so angry. It felt so out of control. And the next time I'm like, oh my gosh, it was a mood swing. It's a menopause thing. And question for you, mom, does knowing what it is help you to, to go through it? Because I find like, let's say my only relation is periods. And if I'm in a pretty low mood and then I realize that I have my period, I'm like, oh, I actually feel quite empowered. And it helps me like know the steps I can take when I think this isn't me being totally irrational. I'm on my period. So this is actually hormone related. And for me, having something not to blame it on, but knowing the reason really helps me think, okay, I I quit going through that spiraling of like, what's wrong? What's going on with me? And I take some of that blame off myself. Did you find that at all? Like, did knowing about what causes mood swings help you move through them? Yeah, I found that as Sunny was occurring like once a month or so as I was going through menopause, and I found that I just need to isolate myself. Like, hey, I'm going to my room, taking a bubble bath, I'm going to watch a movie, just need to be alone for half a day. And how often were the mood swings? Like, were they something you could track, or is it sort of all over the place and you just got to think, yep, it's here, take me to my room? I started monthly for about a year or so. I just had to just put myself away during the time, not be around your kids and just try to stay away from everyone. That's actually really nice to hear because for some reason I assumed it would be all the time. So hearing that it's monthly is sort of nice because I thought it was like five years of you were just enraged all the time. Well, it's different for all different women. Some women find themselves having mood swings pretty, pretty often, but then it you know, so then you have to distinguish that from do they have anxiety, depression as a baseline, what's going on with their family life. So we don't want to blame it all on hormones. Yes, there can be mood swings. It's really bad for some women, but not all mood swings and anger are hormonal. Judy definitely noticed the stigma around mood changes. Here's Judy. I think a lot of the stigma is if you're a 40-year-old woman now, I would I've, I've noticed this more now. If you're a 40-year-old woman and you're crabby, you must be going through your menopause. 
because that's immediately what everyone thinks because you're crabby. Yeah, a lot of times it is your hormones. They tend to overcome you a little bit. But I think if a woman realizes what is happening to her body, she doesn't feel like she's so crazy. You know what I mean? Like she could come to grips with knowing what that feeling is. Mood changes definitely are real. Here's Jess and I reflecting on what we remember from our mother's mood changes during this time. Said with love, of course. Well, my only memory of one of your irrational anger times was once I got home and my mom was so upset, I can't even remember what for, but she wanted me to vacuum the driveway. And I had assumed she was being sarcastic because it just sounded so ridiculous that I did not vacuum the driveway. And then she got home and was like, you never listen. The, va- the driveway is not vacuumed. And I was so confused because I really thought she was being sarcastic because I've never heard of vacuuming the driveway. I don't remember that at all, Val. Was it this mom or the other mom? This mom. Here's Jess. Started getting a little crazy. I would say. <laughs> How? I remember you telling me that you were sweating all the time. And my brother and I would notice that we would do, I don't know, little things and you would make us feel really, really guilty. <laughs> like really guilty. Sorry. And I remember that was the biggest thing. It's like we didn't do the dishes. <laughs> this is so nice to already chat about mom. I'm hoping we can start going through some of the symptoms that is associated with perimenopause and menopause and talk a bit about it. Also talk a bit about the science behind why is that happening? Because you know that I'm a science nerd and I love hearing what is ticking that off. Because for me, it makes me think I know the reason, therefore I know how to tackle this better. You're entering perimenopause. What is happening with your hormones during that time? I used to think a long time ago is that our periods are kind of cycling throughout our 20s. And so yeah, your estrogen goes up and then your estrogen progesterone. That just happens every month and I cycle. Then we thought your hormones just kind of fizzle out toward about age 50 and then your ovaries stop working. That's actually not the case. So what happens is in our roughly mid-30s, which is when a lot of women start to have some decreased fertility, not everybody, but many, our ovaries aren't responding as well to the brain stimulation, the hypothalamus. So the brain is like, well, the ovaries aren't listening. I'm going to send out more hormones to stimulate them more. So they send out more hormones. So always look at this surge. So our estrogen actually spikes up higher than it did when we were younger. Then it falls more rapidly. So a lot of symptoms are not related just to the spike in estrogen, but to that rapid drop-off. Instead of a nice calm cycle, a little bit up, a little bit down every month, we're getting rapid rises and a rapid fall. And that's what messes with our moods. And the hypothalamus, which stimulates the hormones that stimulate the ovary, is also the part of our body that controls our temperature, that regulates our body. And it's that's what happens when we get a fever. If we're sick, it's hypothalamus gets activated so that our temperature sensation is all off. And we get these spikes in our body temperature as well because the hypothalamus is getting overstimulated. So that's what's happening during hot flashes, is that hypothalamus is overstimulated due to that spike and drop in estrogen. Well, because the ovaries aren't listening, the hypothalamus has to rev itself up. Okay, so the hypothalamus is just trying to get the ovaries to listen. So it's getting really revved up and excited. And since it also is a temperature control center, that's what's sending our temperature spiking. Exactly. And then for sweating, is it sort of that like, once we're hot, our body starts to sweat because it's trying to cool us down? 
I never spent so much in my life. I would I would change my body weight would change like four pounds overnight. From losing so much moisture. I'm not someone that has like body edema or retention of fluids, especially. It was just I would spend so much at night. I'd be four pints lighter in the morning than I was next morning. And this is not making fun of my mom. This is just truth telling. Genuinely, it was like I thought she'd wet the bed because the whole bed would be soaked in moisture that had come from her body and had like radiated outward. So that if you got on her bed, it was like a wet, soggy bed. No offense, mom. Just that's it. <laughs> no offense taken. Well, first, I have a personal question, which is what did you do during that time, sleeping wise? Did that make it hard to sleep? Because I know that insomnia is also a symptom associated. Is that insomnia due to the symptoms keeping you up? Or is insomnia just another symptom all in itself? It's partly from the night sweats, but it's another symptom all all into itself. That there's also insomnia related. You know, some have questioned, are the mood swings because of fatigue from the insomnia? You know, it's possible that that they're intertwined, but we don't know for sure. I don't talk about some of the other symptoms there are that are really distressing to women during the time of menopause. So there's perimenopause symptoms are really that my periods are a little crazy. They might be super heavy. They might be super long. Light, they might be shorter between periods. They might be long between periods. They might not know when to expect it. So it's just a time of not knowing when you're going to bleed or how much you're going to bleed. It's really changing. So do women find that frustrating because you're trying to go through your everyday life and randomly it's like, oh. I can't even track this. My periods come again. Yeah. And in, the, in our late 40s, our periods can get super heavy if you're not on some type of hormonal birth control because of the spikes in estrogen and rapid drops. So that periods can get really heavy. There can be anemia, which adds to the fatigue. So just things to keep track of. You know, don't, I encourage women not to just say, oh, just menopause. It's I'm having super heavy periods and fatigue. If you're in MIC, you really shouldn't have that addressed. So just don't stay home and suffer. Get it checked out. Let's talk about another symptom. One that I've seen is vaginal dryness. Can you explain a bit about like what's causing vaginal dryness, what that is, and what sort of the implications of vaginal dryness are? We kind of transition that from the perimenopause to the menopausal period because once your when your period stops is usually when women really start to notice vaginal dryness, and our vaginal Lining is epithelium. That's the type, just type of cells it is. The rich blood supply to the vagina causes secretions from those cells to keep our vagina moist. And then when we go through menopause, we dramatically lose the blood flow to our vagina and clitoris, and even to our bladder and urethra. So we will notice within about a year, a year and a half of menopause, vaginal dryness and bladder symptoms like urgency, frequency, burning with urination. But with vaginal dryness, the vaginal lips get smaller, the vaginal lining is very thin, and so trying to have sex, there's more friction, and maybe burning with sex, burning after sex, sex is less pleasurable. Along with that, not because of vaginal dryness, but there's also, it takes longer to orgasm, or it's really hard to orgasm because there's less blood flow to the clitoris. Wow, so many things to call out there. Your vaginal lips are smaller. That's like the two flaps on the start of your vagina. Yeah, so you have the outer labia, the labia majora, and the inner labia, labia minora. So we call them the inner and outer lips. So the outer lips are kind of just the fat pads around the outer part of the vagina. And then the actual flaps 
are the inner lips of the labia minora. They can get smaller, they can really shrink quite a bit, and they can get so dry that it really hurts to have sex. Wow. And then you also mentioned that, yeah, there's that friction caused because there's less lubrication. But one thing I want to talk about is why is there less blood flow down to that area? Just because the brain has said stop sending blood flow to that area? One thing I always find interesting is teleologic thinking, which is saying, oh, here's the medical condition. Why did it happen? Like, why did evolution make us this way? It's not always the right answer. But one answer I heard from a colleague that I thought was really interesting was the whole reason that we're here on Earth, why we have bodies, is to reproduce and make more bodies. Like, if you look at why are animals on Earth, that higher, higher part of thinking of humans. So when you're done being able to reproduce and have babies, the men in our lives are still able to make babies. If we steal them and keep their energy focused on us when we can't reproduce, is that fair? So maybe it's natural. So I've heard an explanation for us not to want sex anymore so we don't keep the men. Now, being modern women, women who want to keep having a good relationship and a good sex life past age 45 or 50, are like, oh, that's kind of crazy. Why would that happen to us? But if we're not able to reproduce, and I know we talk to young kids and explain sex, and like, oh, that sounds icky. Why would you do that? Like, well, no, sex is supposed to be fun. It had to be fun, or why would people do it? But you have to do it to make babies. It's not, it's not supposed to be just fun in and of itself, you know, as us being animals, we consider it that way. Because one thing I saw also in my research is that this didn't used to be an issue because women used to, to die. Or their lifespan was pretty much right when after menopause was the normal lifespan for women. So many women didn't experience these horrible side effects because they just weren't on this in this world anymore. Well, when we get into the treatment in our next episode, yeah, we'll see that the treatment for menopause or women after menopausal years um, in science has been really lacking because, yeah, in the you know, mid 1800s. Women didn't live past age 45, so they were, most of them were pregnant their whole lives and then died, and we didn't have a lot to consider to talk about spending years or decades after their last period like we do now. So I know we're going to talk about solutions, but I feel like it's worth calling out that in our next episode, we are going to be talking about some, not solutions, but some ways to ease the symptoms of menopause and make menopause a easier transition. So it feels like right now we're diving into all the symptoms because we are, but keep in mind that we are going to be going over the solutions. Don't get too, don't be me in the library and start crying. No, and I don't want, I don't want the gals listening to think that menopause is also scary and bad. There's a lot of great things about menopause. So one, you don't worry about periods. You don't worry about being anemic. You don't have to buy pads. You can't get pregnant. There's a lot, it's like very liberating in so many ways. All right, let's keep going with our symptoms track. Another symptom I've seen is weight gain. It's real. It's real. Okay. So what could be going on there? So our metabolism definitely changes. Metabolism slows. Most women will gain 5 to 10 pounds, often abdominal, at the time of menopause or the, you know, those first few years. So women that gain 40, 50 pounds, you can't blame that all on menopause, but women typically will you know, gain 5 to 10 pounds. For the women that are really thin, I love to exercise and so really into you know Pilates and running and all kinds of exercise. Get really upset that they now have to buy a size up. They've got a little bit of a pooch in their tummy. It's pretty hard to avoid that. So almost every woman gains a bit of weight at the time of menopause. 
I wish that could be something that we could just normalize so people didn't have to feel like there was something wrong with you or that you have to go to the gym or eat less because it sounds like, I mean, if it happens to most women, then it's healthy, is it not? It's just the way we are, and I wish women would accept it too. You know, I look at my own little poochie belly like, hey, I should let it go. I've had four kids, and I've been through menopause. I've got a bigger pooch now than I had before, and I'm certainly not, I'm not overweight. I'm not obese, but I still look at her like, what happened to that 40-year-old Denise that exercises in each right? Why does she have a poochie belly now? So I can't 100% let it go, but... It is what it is. It's just there. I mean, 100% letting it go is so hard in the current society and world that we live in that is always trying to put these ideal beauty standards in our face. But I think what you're doing is great of just taking the time to, even though you might be like, oh, why is it this way? To then self-correct and think, well, I know why and remind yourself. Because I find myself doing that too for things besides the poochie belly. I'll get quite hard on like my skin because sometimes I break out and then I'll take a moment to be like, I'm not mad at myself for noticing this or being mad about it, but I am going to take a second to think, yeah, I've got some pimples. What's to do about it? Will I let it ruin my life or I better just enjoy it while enjoy that body while I can? But that doesn't mean I don't do it. So I think it's okay that you still feel that way. I also hear about weakened bones where you start to hear a lot about women developing osteoporosis later in life. What would be causing the bones to weaken? Our bones for us women are really, are really dependent on estrogen. And so as we hit menopause, the osteoclasts, the cells that break down our bone structure, because we're constantly building bones and breaking bones down. So we have two types of cells, osteoblasts and osteoclasts. Osteoblasts grow bones, osteoclasts break down the bones. I never remember this from, I had a teacher in high school, adorable, my friends from high school will really love hearing this, but she would always make her cat clawing when she talked about osteoclasts. They're, class, they're clawing at your bone cells. So osteoclasts break them down. So in menopause, in the first year and a half after your last period, we dramatically lose our bone strength. When you see women that are hunched over, the little old ladies that walk like with a tall hump in their back, that's from fractures in our vertebrae. And they can be kind of silent. They start to happen, and then their, their vertebrae kind of collapse, and they're leaning over. Dramatically adds to risk of falls, and some of those women just have debilitating back pain all the time. That's from osteoporosis. With thinning of the bones, women by age of 80, if the bones are thin enough, a woman who's 80 years old and falls and breaks a hip, there's about a 20% chance that she will live independently again. So she was running around, had her own house, driving, falls and breaks a hip. Either she's going to maybe die of complications that hip fracture or end up in a nursing home or with nursing care because the chances of at that age survive, you know, recovering enough from a hip fracture is, are pretty slim. It's pretty devastating. Wow, that is, is heavy. I want to pull this out for a second see if I'm understanding. So right after menopause, one to two years after, we can be expecting a pretty dramatic decrease in bone density. That's because the osteocat class are just eating more of our bones. Okay. So is there, are they speeding up or are we just getting slower at repairing them or both? Yeah, we're not replacing it fast enough. It's not, it's not inevitable. Save it for the next episode. We're going to talk about how to prevent that, how to treat that, those kinds of things. It's not inevitable that we're all going to get osteoporosis. So that's genetic. Some of that is other medications that you're on. 
but for some women, it's because they went through menopause and did not do any treatments. Okay, so even though we heard that very sad story about hip fractures and can't live by ourselves, there are things we can do to be preventing or taking care of ourselves. Yeah, so next episode we're talking about what can I do to keep myself from getting these bad side effects or adverse events that come with losing our hormones. Some of the other things, I think one is also heart disease. So men have heart attacks, and you're like, men all of a sudden die of a heart attack in their mid-40s. Women, we really have pretty good hearts for the most part until we hit 10 years after menopause, around 60. Now women start to get that advanced heart disease. Our hormones protected us from. Without treatment, women catch up to men. Within five to 10 years of menopause, we start to have heart disease. And heart disease in the U.S. is the number one killer of women. Wow. And that's just because the hormones were protecting our heart and now we don't have them? Oh, so this is a lot to chat about. I know it's a natural part of life, but it does, it, it gets pretty, um, you feel pretty bogged down. So let's go through one more symptom, which is fuzzy thinking or forgetfulness. Because I had a listener write in that they were wondering why forgetfulness occurs during menopause. Because they realized that their mom happens to be really forgetful during this time. So what could be causing that? Yeah, so definitely estrogen keeps us thinking more clearly. And women who are premenopausal do better on memory tests, do better on passive intellect. And it's a little bit controversial right now whether if you take hormones at the time of menopause, it's going to prevent that memory loss and prevent dementia even. So the estrogen is helping us think and we have less of it and we're getting less blood to our brain. So that might be causing it. Oh, thanks for going over all of that with me, mom. I think we'll go to a few listener questions that have been sent in. Our first one, which I love, is do men have a version of menopause? Men don't have menopause like we do, so they can reproduce through, you know, into their advanced elderly years. But what men get is decreased ability to have ejaculation or to get erections. And that is often due to coronary artery disease and less blood flow to the penis. That is, is not quite the same thing we have where we lose our ability to reproduce, but they may really lose their sexual function. So it's not just us, totally. Another question we got was, how can I avoid hot flashes? My least favorite thing in the entire world is to be overheated. In fact, I think it is the only time that I'm really mean. Are hot flashes avoidable? Yeah, they're avoidable if you take hormones to help, to help with the situation. And you don't have to wait until your last period. It's been a whole year away to start taking hormones to diminish your hot flashes or to prevent them. So, Mom, do you have any other words to say on menopause before we start to wrap up? I would say that when I was your age, Vale, I was really afraid of menopause. And I thought it was a time where you're like, your life is over. You're like a little old lady. I would say I'm now 10 years past my last period. And I think it's been really freeing. And I, I love it. I'm so glad I've been menopausal. There's so much power that comes with it. Right? I asked Judy what she enjoys about postmenopausal life. And this is what she had to say. I don't worry so much anymore about what people think. Yeah. <laughs> I don't care anymore. Like, I, my hair is gray. I love it. I went gray during COVID. And I love it. And, nice. you know, I'm embracing my silver stages. Okay. Like, this is just a part of aging. And you have to realize that 
it's just, it's better than the alternative. So I will take it every day. I asked the same thing to my grandma and she was ecstatic about no longer having periods. Here she is. Okay, I'm enjoying that a lot. How tied to that menstrual cycle thing I was. But yeah, I'm, I'm enjoying that. So you enjoy not having a period? Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's a relief. Not worrying about it mm. coming on. Not being ready for it. Yeah. Or suffering through it if you have mm. difficulty with it. Yeah. Life is really great. And it is. there's a lot of relief. Not only relief that you're not having a period monthly, but also relief that you're not going to get pregnant. That's very soothing as you age. You know, just kind of enjoy life. If you're still sexually active, go ahead. Not having a period must feel pretty special because this is what Judy had to say as well. That I don't have a period anymore. You don't understand. It's like, that's the bonus. That's the pot of gold. Glad to hear there's a pot of gold waiting at the end of menopause. Here's mom again. Really focused on some of the symptoms that let you know that you're hitting menopause and some of the problems that occur if you let menopause go untreated, the changes that can happen in your body, which some can be severe. But we're going to wrap it all up next episode with how to treat menopause, um, how to approach it medically, and what we can do to lessen the severity. Thanks so much for having this chat with me today, Mom. I will say that there were moments where I was thinking this is a scary conversation, but being someone that knows my mom and knows that she's 10 years past menopause, I would say she seems like she's got a a beautifully functioning life full of friendship and love and familial love and romantic love and just a really successful, beautiful life. Here is some final thoughts from our three lovely ladies that joined us on today's show, Jess, Judy, and my grandma. Don't go on, you know, WebMD and look up stuff. Get good book. I had a good book on menopause. That book helped me. That was like my Bible during menopause. So that I knew that if something was going on that I was concerned about, I could I could find out if that's normal. And a lot of it was normal. But you have to, like I said, the more understanding I think you have of what's happening to your body the better control you have over it. You know, if you have someone you could confide in, you know, to talk to, like I had her and I had friends and you need to get help. And menopause, this too shall pass. (laughs) (laughs) Don't worry about it. It's going to happen whether you want it to or not. It does give you a sense of relief mentally and emotionally. You'll have hot flashes for some time. There are lots of remedies now that weren't available when I was going through it. So, you know, take it on as it comes. Nothing to be afraid of. Some women might be afraid of it, or they've heard bad things about it. Anyone I've talked to among my friends, nobody had a bad experience. Take it on. It it doesn't mean you're old. It just means you're finished having children. And that's okay, too. That's it. I love you. You may remember at the start of this episode, I mentioned a listener challenge, which was to have a chat with a woman in your life about perimenopause and menopause. I hope this episode has inspired you to do so, and I know this may seem like a daunting subject, but that might just be the stigma talking. Here's some advice from Jess about if you're feeling a little trepidatious about having this conversation. Your mom, literally, she gave birth to you. I don't think anything you can say to her 
would be embarrassing. Like for me to be able to ask my mom about my body, she created me. So I just feel like it's so normal for me to ask her and to like not feel ashamed to ask your mom those questions. It should be a normal conversation to have. But find an aunt or (laughs) sister or grandma. Yeah. (laughs) Find somebody. But I guess if you know, girls are nervous, like, oh my God, like I can never talk to my mom about that. I feel like a lot of people might be surprised that the conversation would go good. And mom might need someone to talk to. Yeah. <laughs> and your mom might be actually happy that you're coming to her yeah. with those oh. questions, I guess. Well, of course. Thanks for listening. Please tune in the next episode because I think we did spiral a little bit into the negatives of menopause and next episode will be spiraling right back up, like how how to live your best life in menopause, how to treat it, how to cope with it. It's definitely not the end of life. There's definitely fantastic life after menopause. Please, if you've enjoyed this episode at all, share it with your friends. Like us on wherever you listen to your pods. But we would like to get the word out to more women. So please let them know to listen to us and send us any questions that you have. Thank you. Love you.